Good morning. Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Welcome to the Lord's house. So we've been journeying through the book of Acts, and today we're going to sum up the last nine chapters because it repeats itself with a couple of neat stories woven into it. But Acts chapter 20 is where we, it's where we are. We're not going to finish with that. We're going to jump over to 2 Timothy in just a minute. But uh, Acts chapter 20, and chapter 20 through 28, it's nine chapters there. And it repeats a theme, and the theme is this. Paul preaches Jesus. The Jews following him around get mad at him for preaching Jesus. They accuse him in a court of law. He goes to trial before a heathen judge, right, a Gentile judge. The judge finds no fault in him and releases him. Then he goes to another town. He preaches Jesus, right, faithfully preaching Jesus. The Jews who follow him around get mad at him. And they, they try to kill him. They try to storm him. They, they make a complaint with the, with the governor. And the governor says, well, bring him before trial. And they bring him in. The governor says, what's the... What's the, what's, the, what's the problem here? And they go off on all their little things, you know, they don't like about Paul. They said, that doesn't have anything to do with me. He's not broken any laws, uh, so he releases him. And then a third time, he goes to another town. He preaches Jesus, right? And the Jewish people who follow him get all mad at him and chase him around and, and take him to court. And they take him to another governor. He said, bring him into court. He comes into court. And what are the charges? And the Jews go off on what they don't like about him preaching Jesus. And the governor says, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Let him go. And so he lets him go. And the last time, they were about to kill him. And Paul appealed to Caesar because Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen. He's going to treat me like this? Well, when the governor heard that, he didn't want any trouble with the king, right? He didn't want to have any trouble with him. So he said, oh, y'all leave him alone. Don't touch him. Matter of fact, I'm sending some guards with him to protect him all the way to Rome. And so Paul had an escort, if you will, from the, from the governor all the way to Rome to, to stand trial a fourth time. And so he gets there and he's put, under, he's put under what we call house arrest, which means he had a guard that was with him 24-7 and they rotated. They had, it wasn't the same guard, but a guard was with him all the time. The guard was probably there more for his protection, <laughs> protecting Paul from the Jewish people than anything. It wasn't there to keep him from going because Paul did anything he wanted to. He preached Jesus everywhere he went, including to every soldier that came and guarded him. And I believe a lot of those soldiers gave their life to Jesus because Paul was very persuasive with the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Paul was under house arrest for two years without ever going to trial. Now, think about that. He's not done a thing wrong. It's all because the Jews had complained about him preaching Jesus. He made it to Rome. And he was put under house arrest for two years without standing trial. Now, why two years? Well, back in the day when someone was accused and they appealed to Caesar. And any Roman citizen could appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Caesar. I want to stand trial before him and his, his judges. Anybody that appealed could go, could go to Rome. And here's the deal. Caesar would send a letter back to the people who were complaining, saying, okay, I've got him. He's under house arrest. If you've got a problem with, with Paul, you need to show up for court. And for two years, nobody showed up to court to accuse him. 
And so he was kept under house arrest for two years, waiting on somebody to come accuse him. And after two years, he was let go because nobody came and accused him. That's how courts worked back in the day. So why did these Jews come and accuse him? I, I, I think the Lord just finally shut their mouth and said, I've had enough of you. This is enough. They also knew if they went to Rome and started raising Cain, they knew what the Roman soldiers would do to the nation of Israel because they had done it many times before in the 400 years of Roman occupation of all that area. So there's Paul is in Rome. And while he's in Rome, he writes four books, four letters, three of them to churches and one of them to an individual. And he wrote these letters saying, look, I'm in prison. They're called the prison epistles or letters. That's what the word epistle means, letters. He wrote four books while he was there. May have written another two or three books. We're not really sure, but for sure he wrote the four books. And uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and uh, Philemon. Philemon was the letter to his friend. And great writings. If you've ever read those books, they're great books to read. Paul wrote that while he was, quote, unquote, in prison uh, under house arrest. And so that's the last nine chapters of the book of Acts. Trial, tribulation, tribulation, trial, persecution, trial, trial, tribulation, persecution. We might say it this way. Car breaks down. Got to put new engine in it. Tires blow out. Got to put new tires on it. Washing machine goes out. Got to buy a new washing machine. Dryer goes out. Got to buy a new dryer. Mom and dad are getting divorced. Got to deal with that. You know. Grandma's getting sick. She's almost about to die. We go through the, not the same thing Paul did, but we go through the same cycle in our lives. Don't we? Anybody in here over the age of 18 not had a trial in your life? Anybody? Okay, so, so we're, we're all 100% with a trial. Anybody under the age of 18 ever had a trial in your life? Say your parents. You can do that. <laughs> Raise your hand for that. Right. We've all been in the same cycle of trials. And some of you, because I know your stories, are going through some trials today. Some of you went through trials this past week, and some of you the week before, some of you last year, and some of you eight years ago. I've been your pastor now eight years this week. Can you believe that? Well, thank you. Thank you. I've been your pastor four months. <laughs> four months now. <clears throat> so I know we've been through things. We, we've all been, th we've been through, through some things together and some things we haven't. So what was Paul's, what was his secret? What, what, how did he continue doing this? Matter of fact, we're not really sure because there's not any writings on it uh, to speak of, but we think Paul may have even went to Spain and preached the gospel there. There's a tradition, Christian tradition, that he went to Spain because he said, I'm going to go to Spain and preach. We don't really know after chapter 28. Uh, we think he was martyred later on somewhere. Um, but even after all this trial and tribulation, he's still preaching Jesus. He's still going strong, going all the way from Rome to Spain to preach Jesus and come back again and perhaps even died in Jerusalem, some people think. What kept him going? Well, that's the passage I want to look at. And that's, that's, um, that's in 2 Timothy. It's probably the last book that he wrote, the last letter that he wrote that we have in our, in our hands. It's, Paul may have written other letters that we just don't have. 
Uh, but the one that we do have is 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 1. Uh, so this is Paul at the, at the end of his, as far as we know, his ministry. Writing back to Timothy, his, his son in the ministry. He, he brought him in and said, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to pastor you. I'm going I'm to teach you how to be a pastor and an evangelist and so forth. And, and so these are some of the letters he wrote to Timothy. It's interesting that a lot of the letters that Paul wrote were to church planters or to new church plants. And so there's something about this church planting heart that he had. Uh, Timothy was a church planter. He said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word of God. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge the duties of your ministry. Now, this is, this is Paul who's been through everything, giving Timothy... Uh, his last words. This, this is my best advice I've got for you, Timothy. Now let's look at this. <clears throat> he says, uh, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Now, he was talking to Timothy who was a, a pastor. But this is true for all of us. Okay. Whether you realize it or not, you're all preachers. Now, I, I know you, you look at me and my role and you say, I'm, I can never do that. I'd never get up in front of a church and preach for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. Or like Paul in Acts chapter 21 where he preached and there was a young man. He started at night, started preaching it right after supper. And long about midnight, Eutychus was in the window listening. A young man fell out and died. Fell two stories and just died. And Paul said, not a problem. I'll be right back. He goes downstairs, goes out, and there's a guy laying on the ground dead. He brings him back to life and brings him back up and then makes him sit for the rest of the part two of the sermon the bible says he preached all night when daylight came right when daylight came they broke up the meeting that's a 12-hour sermon yeah yeah and you think my 30 minutes is bad right can you imagine right right but they sat for 12 hours in an upper room with, with lights lit so they could hear the word well we're all preachers we're preaching something every day Yesterday, there were a lot of preachers, and they were talking about coaches for their favorite football team and players for their coach of the other team. I mean, we went off on some folks yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> if your team lost, you went off on everybody, right? If your team won, you're just all excited, right? We, we, we preach about our favorite ball teams. We, we preach about what's going on in the world. Just ask somebody, are you a Democrat or Republican? You will get a sermon. I don't, I don't care where you go. You, you'll get a sermon, right? Uh, ask anything. So we're all preaching something. And what Paul is saying is, hey, as long as you're talking about something, why not talk about the Word of God? It's, it's, it's a pretty good thing to talk about. And look what it's useful for. It says, preach the Word, be prepared in season or out. That is, Sunday mornings, I'm prepared to preach. But you need to know I'm prepared to preach seven days a week. 
If you call me at four in the morning, I will give you a sermon. I promise you I'll give you a sermon. <laughs> you call me at four in the morning, wake me up. Do it on, the phone. on the phone, baby. That's right. We should all be ready for when it's time to speak and not time. So there are times to speak the word of God and there's times not to speak the word of God. That's what it's saying. It's a season, not a season. Sometimes if you're hanging out with your friends, maybe it's not the best time to bring up the word of God. Just enjoy being with your friends, right? Talk about life. But there's a season when you're with your friends you need to talk about the word of God because they need to hear it. They need something from this word in their life. And, and Paul said, just be prepared. And bottom line is the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. But if you're not prepared, the Holy Spirit can't use it. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit can only use what's on the job site. Right? If you're not stacking lumber up on the job site, some brick and some mortar and some nails and some wire to build that house, if you're not stacking it up on the job site, right, Holy Spirit ain't got anything to use. The more you put on the job site, the more he's got to use to build with it, right? It's like the, the guy that went to heaven and Peter met him at the gates and he said, I'm going to show you your house. And he's walking past all these mansions and thinking, oh, wow, this is just absolutely amazing. I can't wait to get to mine. They kept walking down the street. Walk. The houses got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And they got down to the end of the street and there's this guy with a little old shack over here. He said, that's yours. And the guy looked at Peter and said, what do you mean? Everybody else has got these giant mansions. And Peter said, well, we did the best we could with what you sent ahead. That's gemology, okay? But what we prepare, the Holy Spirit can use what we don't, he can't. So that's what Paul's saying. So just be ready. Just be ready. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. So there's three things that we can do with the Word of God. We can correct people. Nobody likes that. We can rebuke people. Nobody likes that either. We can encourage people. Everybody wants to be encouraged. But sometimes... The pastor needs to be corrected. Sometimes he needs to be rebuked. And sometimes he needs to be encouraged. Just like all of us do. We're all human. We're all struggling. We're working through this life, through trials. We need all of these. And the word of God's good for that. Now, we do that with great patience and careful instructions. So we don't take the Bible around and beat people upside the head with it. If you're carrying a Bible that weighs 75 pounds, put it down. You're going to have a backache. You can have to go to a chiropractor and get an adjustment somewhere, right? A bunch of times. You don't need to beat people over the head. It needs to be with patience and be careful. Because you can really hurt people with the word of God. Really can. Debbie and I had a friend years ago that wound up with some really deep emotional problems because her father had passed away from cancer. They were in church. He passed away from cancer. And she was sitting on the front pew as a 10, 11-year-old with her feet swinging in the pew at the funeral. And this woman in the church walked by and said, if you just prayed harder, your daddy wouldn't have died. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that horrible? That's horrible theology, right? Especially for a 10-year-old. Any, any year old, but especially for a 10-year-old. Uh, she wound up with some severe emotional issues that had to be dealt with because of that one sentence. So let's be careful that when we use the word of God, we use it wisely. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. 
they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, there are pastors across our land today that won't say that abortion is murder. They just won't say it. They won't say that homosexuality is a sin. They just won't say that. And, and, on, and on down the list, they don't want to talk about sin. And here's their response, I don't want to offend anybody. Paul offended people all the time because he told the truth. Jesus offended people all the time because he told the truth. Moses offended Pharaoh because he told the truth. He said, God's people, let them go. Bam. So if you tell the truth, just get ready. You're going to offend somebody. You're just going to offend somebody. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't tell the truth. That's why the country's in the shape as it is in. It's because we're not telling the truth. And people aren't receiving the truth. I read this article this week. It's a really great article. Uh, I, don't think, I don't know if the person's a Christian or not. It didn't sound like it, but it sounded like they were very wise. He said, the, the problem in America is not a difference in left and right or Republican and Democrat. The problem in America is a difference in moral. Is it right? Or is it wrong? And that's where the great divide in America is coming from. That's where the great crisis in America, if we're going to have one, a lot of people are predicting one, is going to happen is along the lines of right and wrong, not along the lines of left and right or Democrat or Republican or independent, but along the lines of moral values. And if you've paid attention to the news in the last five or ten years, you've noticed that that's where the lines are being drawn now is along the lines of morals. Right. more so than anything else it's morals and, and that's what, what Paul was saying was going to, look at all those notes that just <laughs> fell out that's what Paul was saying is people are going to listen to what they want to listen to instead of the truth so we must know the truth there, there's, there's ten standards in the Old Testament you know, we call them the ten commandments right and so there, there are standards that God sets for his people, for all people. We need to know them. We need to teach them. We need to stand on them and be an example of what it looks like to live on those. So they would turn their ears away from the truth aside to myths, right? But you, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of evangelists. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that's what, that's what we have to do. We must fight the good fight. And, and, and we are fighting a good fight. And uh, if you're fighting for the gospel, if you're fighting for the truth, you're fighting a good fight. So stick with it. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think it's Isaiah 7, 9. It says, if you do not stand firm in your faith you will not stand at all if you do not stand firm in your faith you will not stand at all and that's true if we're not standing on anything on something we'll fall for anything right so we stand on the word of God now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing in other words God's going to say welcome Come in, good and faithful servant. Enjoy. Some of you had loved ones who met Jesus this week and entered into that glory and received a crown of righteousness. Yes, thank you, Jesus. 
So, and then Paul gives his last comments. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, my beloved, uh, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now Mark and Paul had had a falling out years before. And now Paul is saying, yeah, he really was good for my ministry. I made a mistake in dismissing him from the team. I should have kept him on. So bring him back. So we see some reconciliation here. I sent Tychus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchment. Paul must have left in a hurry to leave his coat and his, his Bible. Yeah. Right? He left in a hurry. And he's saying, could somebody please bring that to me? Because it's kind of cold here. I need my coat. I need my Bible. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a good deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. And once again, maybe some of you have been through trials over the last year, two years, or five years, or 60 years, where people have done you harm. I think we can all say we've been there, right? Somebody, and, and the worst thing is, sometimes it's the person closest to you, or a person close to you. The psalmist said, David said, I could put up with all this backstabbing that's going on if it wasn't because it was my best friend with whom I took communion who stabbed me in the back. That's what hurts the worst, betrayal. Dante said that the nine levels of hell, the ninth level was betrayal. The worst was betrayal. Apparently, Alexander was close to Paul, perhaps, but had done him harm. And the Lord will repay him what he has done. And that's where it needs to stay. We need to dismiss bitterness and say the Lord will take care of this. I don't need to. Here's the thing. You can't punish anybody like God can. You just can't. None of us can punish anybody like God can. And we need to leave that up to him, whatever that looks like. He will do it best. In this case, Father does know best how to deal with this. You too should be on your own guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. and Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Once again, Paul is saying the same thing Jesus said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? Paul learned that from Jesus. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. No matter where you've been in all of your life, the Lord has stood by your side. In your sin, he stood there. In your happiness, he stood there. In your sorrow, he stood there. In your, in, your, uh, in your lack of whatever it is, he stood there. Now that you're wealthy, he stood there. Whatever it is, God's been standing there to give you strength. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Yeah, that's why we're here. We're here just to spread the message. We, we, get, a, we get about an 80-year Mission assignment. So we're up in heaven. God says, okay, it's time for your 80-year mission assignment. Go down and tell everybody how wonderful I am. And then come back. But that's, that's kind of summing it up. But that's the essence of it. We're given <coughs> 70 or 80 years on this earth. And our job is to tell people how wonderful God is. Right? So it's a short-term mission assignment. And then we live all eternity with him or, or not with him. It's our choice. 
And so he thought the message might be fully proclaimed that all the Gentiles might hear it through us. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Wow. Who else do we know that was delivered from a lion's mouth? Daniel, right? Daniel was. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. (coughs) To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's powerful. Uh, I think it's Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon forced against you will prevail, but you will condemn every lie from the accuser that accuses you, for this is your heritage as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You, you have permission to, to discredit any lie that comes against you because you're a son or a daughter. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to heaven, his heavenly kingdom. Tim be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, we need to be a little like Paul and, and be a little more tenacious. Or I like the word bodacious. Just need to be a little more bodacious in our walk. But because this, we're not home. This is not home. We're, we're, just, we're just passing through on a mission trip. This is not home. We will be home one day and not have to worry about all the stuff we worry about today. Arthritis is not going to visit you in heaven. High blood pressure is not going to visit you in heaven. Diabetes is not going to visit you in heaven. You can eat all the banana pudding you want to. You never have to worry about insulin in heaven. But between now and then, we're going to bump into things in the night that hurt. And God simply says, turn on the light. Turn on the light and see that I will overcome that too. Just turn the light on and I will overcome whatever you bumped into or whatever bumped into you. That's his promise for us. So fight the good fight. Run the race. Live with a little tenacity in this life. Stand up to evil. Speak a word of truth. Lord knows this country needs it. Somebody you know needs to hear the truth of God's word in love with careful instruction. But they still need to hear the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the life of Paul, um, one of our brothers, who went through a lot sharing the gospel. Father, I pray you would give us the same passion to share the gospel no matter what people say, no matter how they confront us. Give us the passion to share the gospel. Give us the passion to share the truth, to be the truth, to tell the truth wherever we go. And Jesus says we receive uh, communion today. We, we do so acknowledging that you died for our sin, that you rose again, and that you are coming back so that we may be with you for all eternity. So we celebrate that. We celebrate your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us under great trial and tribulation and that you willingly gave up your life for us so that you could give life to us. And we give you thanks for that. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. So Jesus, I pray these elements would empower us and inspire us and encourage us as we take them into our body, as we take them into our soul and our spirit. 
may we be encouraged to get up and run this race one more day because you're with us. You're right beside us. You never leave us nor forsake us. Something good and great will happen because of this. So come, Holy Spirit. Teach us, guide us, help us, instruct us, convict us, change us, transform us. Have your way with us. Have your way with us, Holy Spirit. Have your way with us this morning. Of course, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.